Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Warning, objects in your ears may appear to be smarter than they actually are. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm home. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining pipe-smoking broadcast going out to all of us pipe smokers all around the world. I'm back, back from a couple of long weeks of travel. Going to be home for a while. So in tonight's show, we're going to talk about Kamoi pipes. Going to talk about a little bit about the history of Kamoi pipes and how to date the older ones. My guest, Mark Ryan, is back. He's waiting on the phone. We're going to talk specifically this time about Perique. I spent some time talking to him in, uh, in Richmond. Got a, got a real lowdown on what's going on on Perique. Going to ask him some questions. We'll find out all about Perique. Uh, music, specifically from my trip last week, so that'll be fun. And mailbag rant all that coming up on another wonderful episode of the pipes magazine radio show and if uh, you guys are hearing this it's possible that i could be dead by now but uh friday morning yep tomorrow morning i'm leaving for uh, 36 hours of marching band chaperoning and helping out with a band competition up in winston-salem so it's um it is quite possible that I could be dead by now, and you're enjoying this show somewhere, relaxing with your pipe while I'm running around with a bunch of high school kids from the marching band and 36 other marching bands as well. And on another programming note, I am kind of excited. The uh, new season of White Collar kicks off tonight. I know somebody else who's going to be... going to be watching it right after the show so soon as i get done with the show i'll be uh, wrapping things up here heading home turning on usa network for white collar it's one of my uh, one of my favorite shows no pipe smoking in it nothing like that sorry so all right everybody let's get the show going we got a lot to get through in this i'll uh, recap a little bit of the richmond show in the mailbag so got that to look forward to sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you to sutliff tobacco company here we go I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. Welcome back. In just a few minutes, Mark Ryan will be on the phone. We'll be talking Perique, one of my favorites. In the meantime, we're going to talk about one of Kevin Godby's favorites. That's right, the Kamoi pipe. Because if we, if you remember right, the birth of the pipe 
the modern-day briar pipe was from St. Claude in eastern France. Well, Francois Camoy started making pipes in 1825 in the small town of St. Claude. At that time, it was probably clays and other, other woods. But in 1848 or so, that's when they discovered the benefits of briar. It wasn't until 1879 when the company moved by Henry, son of Francois, was moved to London. The business took off. They started adding family members were coming over. A couple of other relatives, Louis and Charles Chapuis, which remember that name because that's important coming up. They get involved in the business, and by 1895, again, the business has moved. By 1905, they're looking at exporting, and this is, I mean, this is turning into a big, growing business. And remember, this is pre-Dunhill, pre-Barling, pre-Sassini. There's very few of the name brands that we know now on the market competing with them. So, Camoys is probably the longest and most historic and most storied brand of pipe that we have on the market. To date a Camoys pipe, finding a pipe that is pre-World War I is really, really difficult. I don't believe I've ever seen one except in collections under a glass, in a glass cabinet. So, here's the key thing to remember. Camoys in the 1980s was purchased by the Cadogan Group, the same folks who bought uh, Sassini, Barling, and so on. Brought all those brands together. And at that point, they changed the way the C was done on the stem. So from post-World War I all the way up until the early 1980s, the C on the stem was always on the left side, and it's what we call a three-part C. And I'm going to describe how they do it. It was a very large circle drilled out with a white rod put in, solid white rod, so it looked like a Dunhill white dot on the side. And then they'd go back in and drill out with a smaller drill bit, the middle, and put a black plug in there. So now you had, a, now you had an O on the side with just a, with a white outline and a black center. And then they'd come back behind that and they'd make another pass with the drill bit and they'd drill out the opening to make the C. So if you kind of look at the C on a three-part C stem from a Camoys, it looks like a little Pac-Man eating the little Pac-Man dot or something similar to that. You've got to make sure that the pipe's clean in order to tell that. But guaranteed, if it's a three-part C, you're in the earlier collector's era of Camoys pipes. Now, once you've got your pipe with a three-part C, there is a whole flock of different levels of finishes. The most storied finish, I hate using that term again, but I'm going to, uh, the, the most popular finish that's collected right now is what's called the Blue Riband. It's R-I-B-A-N-D. And there's some, there's some comments and stories on how that name came about, but... It was a top quality pipe, had a really nice contrast stain to it, and when it came out in the uh, in 1943, they were priced at $35, and they stayed that same price until the mid-60s. The blue ribands have some gorgeous contrast to them. 
at the same time, uh, the London Pride was just a pipe introduced at the same time, just a lower grade of finish on the on the briar. So if you see a London Pride with the three part C, know that what you're looking at is actually a uh, just a grade down below the blue riban. Some of the older names, like the Tradition, was always a really good-looking finish. Maybe more of a cross-grain, what we might be more classically thinking of when we're looking at an English pipe. Uh, the Grand Slam was originally the top of the line, and it was when it was introduced way, way back. But it also had a patent number on it because it had a metal filter system in it. Then later on into the 40s, 50s, 60s, you start to see them introducing pipes like the Specimen Straight Grain, which was the top, top of the line, the Selected Straight Grain, which was the Specimen, but it had a flaw or a sand pit in it. And then the, the one that I like, the stamping that I like, is the Extraordinaire. And what that meant was it was really just more of a pipe that was larger than normal or a different size it kind of went off the shape chart so you can see an extraordinaire blue riban you can see an extraordinaire specimen straight grain you can see that extraordinaire marking if you're really interested in finding more out about the Kamoy's line you can go to pipedia p-i-p-e-d-i-a dot o-r-g They've brought on all of the late Derek Green's work. Derek was a super passionate Kamoy's collector and pretty much wrote the book on it. Also, our own uh, Gregory Pease. Go to glpease.com, and he's got some wonderful pictures of his Kamoy's collections. So there's a couple of great sources for you. Kamoy's pipes, if you can find the older ones on the estate market, Wonderful buys, get them for the right price. Of course, make sure that the uh, make sure that the pipe has been restored, not uh, re-engineered. And then the good news about Kamoy's is the Kamoy's pipes are back being made in the Chacom factory, C H A C O M, which is a combination of its real name, which is Chapuy Kamoy. So the Kamoy's pipes are back home in Saint Claude, France, and being produced there again. So you can keep an eye out for those. All right, everybody, Mark Ryan will be here in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show Mark Ryan of Daughters and Ryan Tobacco. But this time, Mark, we're not talking about finished blends. We're here because you are deeply involved in the wonderful little leaf that I call Perique. That's right, Brian, and thank you for having me back. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to get into it the first time, but you've got so much going on on the on the finished side that I wanted to save this separately because we all know I love Parikh. Tell us, first of all, take us back. How did you get involved in Parikh, and how are you involved in Parikh? Well, I love Parikh, too. And I've always been enamored of it. And back in the old roll-your-own days, I wanted to do a blend with Parikh, and it was never seemed to be available. You know, there was such a small amount, you know, going on in the 90s and first half of the last decade, it was just hard to acquire. And... You know, I was really lucky. Um, I was up visiting a friend in Tennessee, and I happened to mention that, boy, I wanted to get some prick, but I just was, was unable to acquire any. And he mentioned to me that he knew Mr. Poche down at L.A. Poche Prick Tobacco. And sure enough, he called, called Mr. Poche up on the phone while I was in his office, and that's how I bought my first two barrels of prick, and just pure serendipity. And it was funny, shortly, I guess that was in 02 or 03, shortly after that, Mr. Poche had seen one of his best farmers, if not his best farmer, uh, Dudley LeBlanc, and gave Dudley my number, and Dudley called me, and I bought two more direct, and I was lucky to get that, because that was when Preek was really petering out. And I, I guess you know, I bought the facility in May of 05, and Mr. Poche had not contracted with any of the farmers to grow any Perique in, in 04 or 05. He was living on fumes and actually had effectively closed the company in the beginning of 05. So when I bought the company in May of 05, the Perique supply effectively was extinct, with the exception of the legacy inventory in that building. There was a small amount being grown at, at that time, uh, by another farmer exclusively for a cigarette company, but it wasn't being processed like Perique. Uh, so there, there was a real question mark about whether Perique would survive at all. Actually, my friend in Tennessee called me up and said that uh, everyone thought that the owner of his company would buy it, and he wasn't interested because the pipe tobacco market had declined so much, and Mr. Boucher was just getting out. He was in his early 80s, all the brothers were, were old and retired, and nobody wanted to do it. It was too much work. So I went down there and did some research and figured, boy, I'll tell you, if I can bring this back, maybe I can break even someday. But at least if nothing else, I've preserved the culture and tradition. And I can tell you that uh, the amount that was being sold for the prior five to ten years is about one-eighth of what we're selling per year now. And when I got the facility, it was two old barns, basically. We call it a factory. And there were only 85 working presses. They had been neglected for so long because of the decline in the category that the roofs leaked and a lot of the, the flooring under the presses were rotten. And it was just a real mess. And no investment in the people. Um, the, the farmers didn't get paid adequately. It, it was just a real nightmare. But I got down there and I figured, you know, I got to build a strong foundation to build this back up. So I, you know, raised salaries and pay for everybody. Uh, looked at physical conditions, repaired the roof, re-insulated, you know, put in new lights. And just from repairs to the old buildings, we went from 85 to 122 working presses. And then a couple of years ago, I made a huge investment to the area, and we added a 20,000 square foot receiving station 
that can accommodate 300 barrels. And we've got all those kicking. So really for the first time probably in 40 years or so, Creek's got a secure future. Because really I've got this thing stable now. I consider myself to be a custodian or a steward for this because it's stable and the next generation can maintain it after, you know, after I'm gone. But we've got it back on a firm footing. Uh, farmers all over the place. We even have young people growing tobacco now because I'm paying at such a rate that it justifies them doing it. Plus the other thing, the main thing that's helped us significantly in addition to raising the rate that I pay the farmers so much is back when the federal government raised taxes on cigarettes, they put a licensing requirement on processors of tobacco. So we got a license down there to be a manufacturer of processed tobacco. Well, what does that mean? What that means is, is the farmers need to bring me the whole leaf, and we do the stripping and everything from scratch. See, before, you wouldn't believe it, but when I got that facility, the farmers would stem the tobacco, which we called stripping, and they would put it in their, their barrel. We use oak whiskey barrels. And get the fermentation started, they might even have turned it once or twice. Very labor-intensive. And then they would bring it to Mr. Pochet, who would then turn it one or two more times and then age it, you know, for another six to eight months. And then he created the market for it. Well, they could do that back then because there was such a small amount produced, and the, the children and the spouses worked for free. Well, when you gear up, that's just too much demand for them at that rate. So the federal government doesn't allow them to do that anymore because they would be processing without a license. So not only did I provide them a way of bringing whole leaf without assuming all that labor, but we have a legal business model. So I'm real <laughs> excited because we've got 10 times the acreage down there than when I started. You know, and keep in mind, this isn't under 10 years. Literally, the farmer's getting twice what they got before, and they're bringing in whole leaf. Uh, I've doubled the, the rate of pay, um, over doubled the rate of pay that the strippers were making. They, were, they just weren't making enough money to survive. You know, and I got down there, I was like, well, this is just, we're exploiting these people. And, I mean, it's not, it's not on my shoulders to make up for 200 years of exploitation. But I knew right off the bat, since I'm up in North Carolina, that if I didn't make this a win-win for everybody, it wasn't going to work. And my biggest nightmare at the time was, I know how loved this product is. If I messed up, people around the world would think, that stupid North Carolina boy got down there and screwed up Perique for the rest of us. Now, well, for those that don't know, down there is the St. James Parish in yeah, that's correct. Louisiana. Uh, where, where in Louisiana is the St. James Parish? St. James Parish is located between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. I'm in Convent, which is pretty much in between. We've got 18 acres. It goes straight to the Mississippi. The levee's on my property. We have those two old historical buildings in the front and the new building in the back. Wow. And, you know, and, and when I got in, I'm so lucky because the man running the facility has been there for over 50 years. I mean, I literally have the human being with the most expertise and most experience for processing Perique that's alive today. And we got in there, and I said, look, from seed to barrel, we're not making any shortcuts. I don't care what's happened as things have declined. We're going to do the best we can do on every single step. And you know and I know 
the tobacco that we're producing down there now is as good as ever. Take you know, us in fact, take us through those steps because it you you don't own all the farms that grow the tobacco, but the the seed itself is it a specific type of pipe tobacco? Well, it's a it's a special type of seed, okay, and and what we do. You, you will not believe this, Brian. They were so far out of the loop for, let's say, 30 years. that, And it was so small. It was such a small plant for them that they still had hotbeds like my grandmother had. You know, it was like <laughs> a raised bed with cinder blocks. And they would get a thimble full of seeds and mix it with a gallon of, of, of hardwood ash and th- throw it in there by hand. And it had old windows sitting on top of it from some house that had been broken down or torn down and when it got hot they'd prop it up with a an old beer can i'm not kidding when i got down there that's how they were growing them in hotbeds and i mentioned to him i said look the way i'm planning to grow this thing that's okay to take that window off and pull that plant out of that that soil you know one at a time if you're doing three or four thousand plants but you're going to be doing fifty thousand plants in a few years for me and we can't have that otherwise you're spending all your time transplanting the plants everywhere else in the world brian they use what's called a floating bed technology which is a hydroponic okay and you have a beautiful greenhouse and you put the water in with the uh you know the nitrogen compounds and you have a styrofoam tray that holds 288 plants it's got these little you know divots in it and the soil goes in with the special coated seed and then you float it in that bed well with that when you're getting ready to go on the tractor, you pick the tray up, and you got 288 plants. You save doing, you know, 288 times from the dirt to a, to a little cardboard box. That was a big, big improvement. The other nice thing about that is you have a mowing system that mows the plants on the top when they're in that bed, and that makes all the plants uniform. Plus, instead of having a scraggly little stem, you know, it looks like a pipe cleaner, you got something that's almost the diameter of your pinky. So you get a, a good hearty start um, while it's while it's in there. You can, you know, look after bugs and pests and everything, and it it just gives you a good start. So, you know, the yield's growing. I'm hoping um, to even have a better yield down there, and the future looks bright for the farmers and for for Creek. So it's a it's a hybrid kind of a, or a special kind of tobacco that's grown. It's only grown down there right off, right on the Mississippi River Valley. And then what's the next process for it? Okay. Uh, once it's brought in, okay, and the whole, whole leaf is brought in by the farmers and it's, it's laid out on, on the floor and in racks. And it's, well, let me, let me step back for a minute. The farmers, you know, it's totally different. Here in North Carolina, we grow the plant. It might be five or six feet tall. You get this big, beautiful bloom, and then they top it where they break the the flower off, and then, you know, the nutrients go into the leaves, and you you get a big plant. You might get 24, 26, 26 leaves. Well, with the the perique, the farmers break the top before the flower comes up. It still has a bunch of small leaves. So those guys, they're harvesting maybe 14 or 16 leaves, and it may only be three or four feet tall. But the leaves are humongous. They're gigantic. When, when they're having a good season, which is not every year, i got to tell you, those daggone leaves look like placemats. Well, what they do is they cut the stalk in the evening, okay? 
and they lay it down so it will wilt because when the stalk, you know, is first cut, it's got so much turgor pressure in the leaves that if you handle it, they'll break. So they let, they let it lay over. A lot of times they'll do what's called tapping that night where they tap a nail 45-degree angle into the base of the stem, the stalk. And then in the, the next morning, after it's wilted, while the dew is out, you've got to get it in before 9 or 10 because when that Louisiana sun hits, if it gets dry, you're in trouble. So what they do is they take their tractor out there and they throw it on the back of a trailer, the plants, and then they take it back to their barn. And what they've got is a curing barn, and it's cured in a manner similar to Burley, where you hang the entire plant. And you go into one of these old Cajun's barns, and they've got these wires all through it. And they start off with the lower group, and they hang them until they fill that. And then they usually get somebody to get up into the rafters, and they, they raise the lower plants up to the, the, the higher wires, and then they bring the new plants from the field, and they hang them down below. The tobacco then cures in that barn for minimum 10 days, as much as 14 days or 20 days. It just depends on, on uh, you know, when they have the time to break the leaves and to make sure that it's all cured out. You got to get the green out of the leaves. That's critical. Um, on ours, you know, it, it's like with any tobacco. The stem is the last thing to get out. We pull the stem, but you got to make sure that you know you get all the uh, all the green out because if there's moisture in the tobacco, it can rot. Okay. So what they do once it's cured out, they do what's called breaking the leaves, and they physically go through and they break the leaves off the stalk, and then they bring them in on a truck to our factory. They're unloaded in the back of the new facility, and the, the tobacco is too dry. It's not what's called in order, which is a tobacco term for me, and the moisture content's right. And what we'll do is early in the morning, the guys will get in there before the strippers arrive, and they'll spray some water on it, and they'll cover it with some burlap so it hydrates a little bit so they can handle it without crumbling. And then the women come in, um, the strippers, I guess there are a couple of fellows, um, but it's, it's, it's mostly women down there that have been stripping all their lives. They work for me now. And they'll sit there, and they'll you know, listen to, you know, gospel music or sit there and listen to the radio and strip tobacco during the day. And what they do is they, it's a beautiful leaf. They'll come down maybe three inches, four inches from the tip, and they grab the stem, break it, and pull the stem out. It's called frog stemming because it looks like you got the head of the plant, you know, with the legs on either side. They then will put that on their thigh, and when they accumulate about a pound, um, one of the one of the fellows will come by with a piece of tomato twine string, tie that up into a bundle, which I think in the old days they had a French name for it. They called it a torquette, and then they array that in the the oak whiskey barrel in a special uh, order, um, and then um, they put it under pressure. Um, we first use a a railroad jack, you know, like you see the old railroad jacks of old. You you can use them now to raise houses but it's got a handle and you pump on it and you you um you put these moons they call them it's it's you know like uh, a circle that's been cut in half with the white oak they put that on top of the tobacco and they put that press on it and they press it down and the cells burst and once once it's uh it's in that barrel safely they remove that railroad jack and they put what's called a screw jack and that's important because a screw jack can maintain the pressure and it just has a screw, and they have a lever that they put it under pressure, and it maintains the pressure in the barrel. And I would say after a few weeks, you start seeing some bubbling, and it's it's a fine bubble. It almost looks like a foam. 
and it's actually going through a natural fermentation in its own juices. We add nothing to it. It's the natural organisms that are in the air down there. They just, from whatever the environment is, they get on the leaf. And during that first six months or so, we'll, uh, while it's active, we'll, we'll take the press off. We'll remove the leaves, and we have a few tricks to improve the tobacco that we employ from best practices. But then basically we reverse the order of the leaves, put them back in the barrel, put them under pressure again. We turn them a minimum of three times, and then it stays in the barrel for a minimum of 12 months before we release it. Once we've gotten um, everything, act, you know, once the activity for the fermentation is done and, and everything has been processed, we'll combine the barrels until we get 500 pounds in a barrel. And then we call we call it capping, where we actually put the top of the barrel on it and and tighten the rings down. And uh, then we paint the top white, and we put the name of whoever we're shipping to on it, and we send her out. I'm going to interrupt you right here. We're going to take a break. That's it. And oh no, I still got more questions for you. So hang on with us. We'll Alrighty. be back in just a minute. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there. Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back. Mark, you got me thinking about strippers listening to gospel music, and I lost <laughs> track of stuff there for a minute. So these are not those kinds of strippers. They're the ones that no, take the stand. Okay. All right. All right. So going back, just just to backtrack just a little bit, the growing season in in the in louisiana is it all year long or is it a couple times a year you know you could physically do a second season if you were desperate uh we actually had to do that one year because the first year's crop was entirely obliterated the entire prairie crop was destroyed by a tropical storm one year and they did do a second crop the problem with that is as you get in the field it's so daggone hot that if if the temperature doesn't agree with you you're you're dead in the water Usually it's one crop. Uh, they're about two months earlier in their planting and harvesting as we are in North Carolina. I okay. know my, my one of my farmers puts puts his seed in the ground in late December based on what the moon is. Most of them, I think, seed in January. And then they're, they're putting plants in the field in February, early March. Now, you also said uh, oak whiskey barrels. These are... These are used oak whiskey barrels, correct? Yeah, generally I get used barrels. I mean, they're cleaned out and they have been torched on the inside and everything. It's it's a cost thing. The daggone new barrels now are so expensive. Yeah. Plus, it adds some character to it. 
but you're not getting any of the flavoring from the whiskey that was that was distilled in it before because it's all been retorched and re- yeah it's been cleaned out so heavily you know we've used the the new barrels in the past when we couldn't find any use any quality and it doesn't appear to make any significant difference yeah at one time you know when they didn't clean them real good and it was real dangerous back in the middle of the last century they'd buy wax and melt it, you know, over a fire and get an old old mop and, you know, wax the inside of the barrels down. Imagine how dangerous that was. And 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 sloppy too. Oh gosh, what a mess. Now, you gotta watch out now. I mean I can't put my employees at risk. The other thing you you mentioned was that there's something naturally in the air there that it, that occurs. Have you tried making Perique somewhere else besides Louisiana? I have not, but it has been tried. Uh, a few years ago, we sold actually five barrels to a, a fellow down in the Dominican Republic. He used to work at Universal Leaf, and he's doing some work down there. And he told me that they had bought several barrels of Perique from Brazil. And I'm like, Dan, how in the world can you be buying Perique from Brazil? It's got to come out of St. James Parish. And he said, well, we thought we'd give it a try. But I got to tell you something. After we got yours, and mine was a dollar more a pound, he told me, we threw all the other stuff away. He <laughs> said, I don't know why they could call that prick because it's nothing compared to what you've got. So there is stuff out there, and I don't know what in the world they're trying to pull off, but it's just not going to work. And I and I've also heard that there's some somebody trying to pull off a, uh, a I don't know, I would even hate to say the word prick, but let's say a fermented tobacco out of Kentucky. Because I know at one of the trade shows, one of my customers asked me what that was all about, and I'm like, "Well, I don't know. It's not, it's not coming for me, so I don't so, know what you would call it." So the the tobacco once it once it's brought in from the farmers, it's it's remoisturized and stripped and then pressed and it literally stewed in its own juices in the warmth of the the warmth of the bayou. That's that's true. Yeah, it's a natural it's a natural environment for the fermentation of it. Do we you, add nothing to it. Do you know is the nicotine content of Perique higher than what we would traditionally see in a Virginia or Burley? You know, you would think so. Because it's got a knockout punch. But when we've had it tested when we first got started, it actually has a profile that would make it more of a lighter tobacco. It's, I think it's just all the complex chemical reactions going on, because I know LSU did a study of it at one point, and they identified over 400 chemical components that had, I guess, been a result of all the chemical natural processing in the barrel. That's why it's got so much flavor and aroma. I, I don't know what it is that makes it so intoxicating, because it's not just a hammer from the nicotine. No, and it's definitely got a, it's got a distinct aroma all of its own, and... It does tend to mellow over time, but it's one of the tobaccos that really holds its intensity as well. It does. Yeah, the longer we keep it in the barrel, the better it is. All right, so you've got the you you get them in the barrels. You're pressing them and pressing them, and then you get the barrel up to up to 500 pounds, and it's ready to it's ready to go. How long, on average, before a tobacco uh, a tobacco blender is going to start to use that barrel? You know, it's going to vary because we have, first of all, it's, 
it's often after 12 months because I'm a stickler on that because the other guy doing it down there sells his at like eight months. It's one of the best practices. All the old guys told me never release it before 12 months, so I don't do it. Actually, we're coming on 12 months now, and I haven't released anything from this year. We were at uh, 12 months in August. My feeling is if I can hold these guys and make sure I've got 12 months, it's going to be superior. Now, some of our guys don't have a huge inventory because I know back when Mr. Pochet was throwing in the towel, a number of vendors thought, oh, man, Creek's gone forever. We need to stock up. So some of those are just now starting to buy from me. Um, you have some of the companies that go through a lot of Perik in a year, but they're only buying three or four barrels at a time, so they don't have the luxury of letting it sit and hold back for years at a time. Are you willing to divulge who you're selling Perique to? Well, and no, to no is perfectly it. okay. Everybody in the world that uses Perique has bought it from me or Mr. Pochet. We're the only source. Now, there is one other manufacturer or other processor, excuse me, but they only sell to a cigarette company, and we sell to that cigarette company as well. So but we sell to everybody else. We're the only one that processes the old-fashioned way. So every, every pipe company in the world buys from me. And then U.S. The, and abroad. The last really tough question I've got for you is there a liquid perique? Well, I have heard that back, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, that when Mr. Pochet had to raise his price, and it was an insignificant amount, he had a big account, I believe it was in Australia, and they balked. They didn't think they wanted to buy real perique anymore. And I've heard that they went to uh, one of my friends, actually, that's Tobacco Technology in Baltimore, to see if they could come up with a liquid extract that they could use as a substitute for Perique. You just can't do it. I mean, I'm sure that uh, people have tried, but I know my friends at, at TI have told me it just didn't work. I mean, you can't replace Perique. It's got to be the real stuff. I mean, why would you get some synthetic? Then you've just got some fake. I, I don't know. Uh, it would not be beneath some people, though, I'm sure. Now I've also I've also seen some older blends, you know, ten, twelve years in the blended and packed in a tin, opened up the ten, twelve year old tin, and seen a little crystallization on the perique where I wouldn't see it on the other ones. Is that traditional or is that commonplace with perique after it's been sitting that it starts to crystallize like that? You know, it's funny you mention that because it can do that when it starts to dry out a little bit. Interestingly, under pressure, that goes back away, and it becomes black and velvety. It, it will get that, and I don't know if it's the, the natural sugars and the chemicals in it that are crystallizing, because I've seen on old cigars sometimes it gets like a fine crystal on it. I'm, I'm, you know, I can't really give you a complete answer on that, Brian. I don't know, but I suspect that's it. Compared to other uh, pipe tobaccos, how much is a What's the price of Perique? Perique is expensive. Um, I would say it's it's up there with Latakia, maybe a little more expensive than Latakia. I mean, it's not expensive like, you know, fancy cigar wrappers. Right. Um, but it's certainly going to be significantly more than any Burley or Virginia. 
So that's why it's because, used? Because it's so heavily processed. And you know, it's held for a year. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, I pay my farmers now for a product that I don't sell for over a year from now. You know, I mean, I've got a product that it, it's, it's different in, in terms of how you evaluate profitability. Because, like with my main company, if I buy a product and sell it, I might turn it every month or every six weeks. So if I get, you know, a small return on it, it's multiplied over the number of turnovers for the year. Well, for Preek, I got one turnover a year if I'm lucky. So I have to have a fairly low margin, but because the market will balk. And um, I've got to be careful because, like you, you asked before with, with the, the flavors, not only will they balk, but they'll make a synthetic. But it's, but it's still going to be expensive because of all the labor, and then, know, even though I'm trying to hold the margin down. Because I'm, I'm never going to make a killing down there, Brian. Um, you know, my, my goal was to, you know, get it to the point where it was breaking even. I was creating a, uh, you know, viable source of income from my employees down there and preserve Perique. I mean, we'll be getting, you know, the point where it's profitable sometime soon, I hope. But it's never going to be immensely profitable. But it's going to create some profit or I wouldn't do it. Um, the main reason I'm able to do it, though, is because of my main company. Because otherwise it wouldn't be worth it during these early stages. But I love the product and I couldn't let it go. And, and that makes sure that your own pipe tobacco blends have the best Perique available. That's right. I, I don't have to worry about having it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a selfish component in there, too. Wait, but hey, I'm I'm trying to think of it altruistically as well. Are you all caught up on paying yourself for your product? Well, you know, I've never taken a salary out of the Perique factory yet. <laughs> I've been trying to, anytime we make some extra profit, I turn it into building the facility and raising the salaries to the point where they, they're respectable. And as, as we build and grow, as I might... My hope is that I'll bring in a couple big accounts in the next year or two, and that's going to allow us to get into the the volume that's going to allow me to make a little profit and maybe take some money out for myself. I mean, it's it's paying all the it's paying for all the bills, and you know we're we're keeping our head above water, but I don't have the luxury of shedding cash yet. You know, as you grow, you can't. You know, it's hard to do, Brian, because we started at nothing, and literally for the first few years, because of our rate of growth. Our total sales for one year, our total revenue, didn't pay for the farmers for the raw materials for the next. Oh, boy. I mean, as I've grown, I've had to have a line of credit to sustain the growth. You know, we're just getting to the point now where, you know, we're, we're going to be sound financially for, you know, extended growth. How often do you go down to Louisiana? I go down there every couple months. I like to have you know, some, some physical presence down there and make sure, you know, there are no unresolved issues and everybody's getting, you know, getting along together and and they're maintaining the standards that I've set. That's important to me. And, you know, I'm lucky I've got good people and I've looked after them so well. They really look after me and they're proud of what they do. And I would imagine going down there and eating the food is uh, also a benefit. Oh, I love it. I love the food down there. All my friends tease me. They all want to go with me because when I go, we eat like kings. <laughs> uh, add me to that list. <laughs> you got it. You've got an open invitation. 
All right, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answers, no wrong answers. Just All right. whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yes. What's your favorite pipe? Uh, you know, I swear, I, I, I think my favorite pipe is that first Costello I've got because I smoke it regularly. I mean, I have some awesome, beautiful pipes. Like I've got a pipe from Lars. I've got a, uh, you know, a number of collectible pipes. But I got a sentimental attachment to that that first pipe. It was around the time my mother died, and I just carried it around with me. And what's your favorite tobacco? Man, my favorite. You know, I have two, and they're they're the two that we have. I love my my Ramback because I love a high grade Oriental, and I love our our Rimbochet, our AP Perique blend. I just love it. I love a good Perique. And what's your favorite thing to drink? Uh, you know, it depends on the time of day. I, I'm not a beer man. From the South, I'm a bourbon guy. And, you know, I like having bourbon with a couple of ice cubes in it. Uh, if, if it's after dinner, I might just sit back and have a Drambouille as a sipping drink. Bland's is my favorite bourbon. And what's your favorite thing to do while smoking your pipe? Well, I tell you, I think just sitting back on my bench at home and playing with my dogs. You know, I really enjoy when I get back at home and I'll, I'll sit back and I'll, I'll load a bowl or I'll have a, you know, a cigar after a long day. And nothing like the love and affection of, of animals. And we've got two little beagles. And I'll get home after a long day and I am beat. And, boy, I'll tell you, they're jumping up and down wanting to love on me. And some days I just want to go home have a good smoke, sit on a stump, and play with my dogs. <laughs> and that answer... You know, it the, doesn't get any better than that. I'm serious. That answered the final question of where's your favorite place to smoke, but I'd also like to add to that that one of these days I want to sit down on the levee right right off the farm and smoke a pipe full of, uh, of a good Virginia Perique down there. Oh, man, it's so wonderful. We do that a lot. We'll go out because it's so quiet. We'll go out... At when it's dark, maybe even midnight, and we got a little uh, gazebo we'll smoke under there in the, in the picnic table, but we'll walk up on the levee, and you can still smell that parique. It's just amazing how that odor just permeates. And just walk up and down the levee. That, that's a good one, too. We'll do that. That'll be fun. Mark, thank you, you for saving parique. Thank you for coming back with us again. I've, I'm just sitting here drooling and slobbering, so... I don't well, know what thank else. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. We'll, I bore anybody. I'm going to wipe my mouth, and we'll be back in just a minute. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. CupOJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. I'm not just a pipe smoker, I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. 
All of my pipes come from MearshamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MearshamStore.com, the most trusted Mearsham store for 50 years. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back to the uh, Perique Smoke-Filled Recording Studio. Ooh, wasn't that? Oh, man, I'm telling you, Perique and some bite and some gumbo. Oh, yeah, now I'm really hungry. Can't wait to get home, watch a little white collar tonight. But last week when I was on the road, early last week, happened to be at Anstead's Pipe and Cigar Shop, one of our regular customers, and they had a lady coming by. Her name is Stephanie Quayle. She's a uh, singer-songwriter, lives in Nashville, and uh, she was coming by to perform a couple of a uh, couple of acoustic pieces in the absolutely gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous cigar lounge. Got uh, got Stephanie to send me one of her songs. So for those of you, this is uh, the first time I believe we've actually had a real country music singer and she's up and coming it's stephanie quayle Stephanie Quayle, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-Q-U-A-Y-L-E. 
stephaniequail.com is the website to find out more information about her. I'll tell you, she hung out with everybody afterwards. What a sweet lady. Big voice. Big voice. And this will be one of my uh, one of my favorite memories of the road. You're just cruising around, going into customers, and next thing you know, you're sitting and listening to an up-and-coming country star. Monday, Monday. You've got mail. Wednesday. You've got mail. You've got mail. All right, we're running just a little long here, so I'm going to jump right into talking about the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers Expo, the core show in Richmond. So my week started off with a lot of driving, and I got to Richmond, got checked in, did the show on Thursday. Friday began with the uh, dinner Friday night. Neil Rohn gave a, a great speech be interesting to see what happens. Check out his website for information on that. Let me recap or summarize the show. I was really busy on Saturday. The entire day there was a good crowd there. Lots of new faces, lots of familiar faces. Good to see everybody. John, it's always good to see you. Make sure and wake up Bill so that he hears his name. Bill, it's even better to see you out running around the pipe shows and looking for deals on vintage tobaccos. Uh, from uh, my own perspective, got to meet a lot of uh, a lot of show listeners, and it's wonderful to hear from everybody. Glad you guys are uh, enjoying the show. I do appreciate when you stop by. Got to meet Rush from Father the Flame. I'm going to work on getting him on the show. They're doing a wonderful documentary on pipe smoking, and I'll have more on that coming up in uh, coming up in a couple of weeks here, hopefully. Uh, personally, not quite as many, uh, pipe makers as normal at this show. There was a lot of retail support, so that was even nice, that was nice to see. Lots of estate pipes, too. Lots and lots of estate pipes. Uh, I did come away with a big bag full of Missouri Meerschaum corn cobs, all brand new, so that'll be fun to play with those, and looking forward to, uh, being able to relax outside and smoke a, uh, smoke a cool pipe uh found about seven or eight tins of tobacco from uh you know six seven eight ten years ago that i was able to pick up seems like uh maybe the vintage tobacco prices are coming down a little bit possibly i seem to have gotten some uh some fairly good deals on it pipe wise not much going on for me but uh I did see a lot of pipes trading hands and uh, changing hands. Lots of tobacco there to be sampled. I mean, there was a bunch of tobacco there to be sampled. The club itself was putting on a a taste testing or popularity or taste review contest, and I think they had about 30 different jars of tobacco open for people to go and sample and taste test and give their reviews. The Richmond Convention Center, of course, Really nice facility, able to smoke anywhere you want in there. Lots of nice round tables at the back of the room to uh, sit down and relax. And on Saturday night after we went out for dinner, we went back there and the local brew house had uh, donated a keg of their porter to the club and the bar was pouring that for free. So I'd be willing to bet that that keg was empty. Uh, Sunday night, you'll hear more about this in just a minute. But our Sunday, the uh, show itself slowed down, slowed down pretty quick. Seemed like uh, seemed like a lot of folks went back home Saturday night or early Sunday morning. So Sunday was a chance for me to get around and see what's going on. I was able to pick up a couple more books from Gary Schreier so that I could complete my uh, my collection of old 
publications and uh, got a chance to see some some pipes that were out there some, from some of the pipe makers that I'd never met before. Didn't get too much time away from the table because, again, there was still enough, enough people hanging out around there, but uh, I understand that there's some new pipe makers coming out. Talked to some folks about coming on the show, so... There you go. There's a little recap of the conclave of Richmond pipe smokers for you. Next year, same dates in October, will be their 30th anniversary. They're already working on some big plans for it. Hey, don't forget, if you're going to be in Vegas or if you can get a chance to get to Vegas, November 2nd and 3rd, Saturday and Sunday at the West at the uh, Palace Station Resort and Casino, it's the final pipe show of the year stop by make it a point to get there the stuff you hear and see and get to talk about at pipe shows it's well worth the cost of getting there you're gonna learn a ton one last thing and hopefully i'll get kevin to pop it down there in the uh, on the show page i was interviewed on a disney related podcast it's all disney it's called stories of the magic s-t-o-r-i-e-s of the magic Randy Crane does a great job of interviewing people and talking about and talking with people that worked at Disneyland, worked at Disney World, worked for the Walt Disney Company, or had great experiences there. Believe it or not, this is a three-part interview with me. It's going to be just about three hours of total time, primarily all talking about Disney stuff. So check out Randy's, uh, Randy's page. Search for it on iTunes. It's Stories of the Magic. Part one of me is up. I believe part two is coming up next week or uh, sometime over this weekend. Uh, haven't heard part two yet, so we'll see what happens. All right, everybody. Rant time next. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifeTobacco.com. Go to SutlifeTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. It's always bothered me, and it, it, it especially bothers me because a pipe show, whether it's a one-day show or a two-day show, the pipe show has posted hours. They tell you in advance, if you're going to have a table, here are the hours of the show on Saturday, here's the hours of the show on Sunday. Well, you know what? One of the reasons why I'm a professional and why I'm in this business as a profession is because I love it. 
But being a professional means that when they tell me that the show is from 9 to 5 on Saturday and 9 to 3 on Sunday, you know what? Those are the hours that they're posting to the public. Those are the hours that they're telling people to come in. Well, guess what? If you rent a table or you have a table at a pipe show, you know what the hours are in advance. There is no reason for... The number of you, and you know who you are, I'm not calling out names, but they're primarily individuals, obviously people that aren't in the business side of this, but they figure that the pipe show's slower on Sunday, so they get a head start and they head home on Sunday morning. Well, you know what that looks like to somebody who can only be there on Sunday? You know, the show's Saturday and Sunday, not Saturday is the good day and Sunday's the bad day. The show is Saturday and Sunday. Some people work on Saturday, so they can only get there on Sunday. They get in there, they're looking around on Sunday, and there's a handful of empty tables or a bunch of empty tables because some of you people thought that Sunday was a little too slow to be there. Well, you know what? Maybe it would be busier if you all stayed the posted hours of the show. This has bothered me for many, many years, and now finally I've got the place to say it. You know what? As a club, as a club that organizes a show, I think you ought to penalize the people that only rent the table for one day because the second day looks bad. And for me personally, yeah, the first day is busier, so I look forward to the second day because then I get a chance to get away from my table for a minute or two and look around and see what's out there. So those of you that left on Sunday, hey, never know, you might have missed a sale. All right, that's the rant. I've been building that one up for a while, and finally I decided to unload it. So now I feel a lot better. If you got an excuse for leaving on Sunday, fine. I don't want to hear it, though. But two-day shows are two-day shows, okay? All right, please make sure and like the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. Please make sure and leave a feedback rating or review on iTunes. Follow me on Facebook. I'm going to try to do a better job of posting stuff on Facebook at least a couple times a week. With all that being said, next week, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, another news show. And I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. Until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny One time at band camp?